0: You're listening to the Scottish Football Forum's podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. <laughs>
1: and welcome to the latest episode of Scottish Football Forums Podcast. I'm John and I've got another guest special and I'm delighted to be joined by a former Grade 1 referee of, um, for 10 years, uh, Charlie Richmond. Charlie, welcome aboard. How are you?
0: Very good, John. Thanks very much for the invitation. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh... Like everybody else just existing.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was going to be my next point is, uh, you know, how you, um, with the world that we, the never-ending world that we seem to be, I mean, we mentioned the, the, the word Groundhog Day. Um, yeah, I think that's a very apt way, way of um, describing things at the moment, isn't it?
0: Yeah. One of the things that, um, I don't know whether it's forced or unforced, that one of the things was I spent 12 years in the Royal Navy. So um, I was in the submarine service, so we used to go away for weeks and weeks and um, cooked up in the, the wee tin can. Well, it's not a wee tin can, it's massive. But we used to be ki- uh, c- cooked up in there and, and that you read a lot of books and you, you justified and, and spent your time wisely as well. So okay, I kind of got a bit of use. We'd been hemmed in the same place for an amount of time. But uh, the only difference in the in the submarines for here was you couldn't go outside for a walk. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, well, if you went out, then you'd buy, <laughs> so
0: yeah, yeah.
1: it definitely wouldn't have been advisable, although with the weather um, as it can be, it's um, you never know what the best thing to do is. So um, how have you been coping um, overall? I take it you've um, had some enough work to keep you going as well.
0: Well, because I work in the education sector, John, we're working from home. We're doing this um, blended learning, online learning, so and basically the the room that i'm in at the moment has been turned into a kind of miniature classroom and um, so therefore we're just dealing with the the students trying to get them to educate as best we can over this so-called blended learning
1: yeah i can imagine um, how tricky it is i mean i know from um, the first lockdown, how difficult it was to homeschool a five-year-old. Unfortunately, this time he's not been so bad, and I've been back at work anyway. Um, but um, it's it's not easy. I mean, um, but I think I think the difference from the first time. Um, I can only speak from a parent's point of view. Was it last the first time? It was all rushed. It was all last minute um, because this was something new. It is I think this time the education authorities all over the country have been preparing for this eventuality happening? Because I think there was also suspicion that we would go back into lockdown and unfortunately that's the way it's turned out.
0: Yeah. And when you do things rushed, you tend not to get the best results. But when you've had a go at something and you can see what worked for you and what didn't work for you, then you can go back and, and readdress the scenario. We've been asked to post all our notes up on, online on our, on our virtual learning site and all that. So therefore you're tweaking to try and accommodate as much as you possibly can with the the, the students at various different uh, learning levels.
1: Yeah, and I can't speak for um, higher-up people because my, my son um, was in primary one last year, now he's in primary two. But when he first um, went into lockdown, in, I think the message seemed to be just do what you can. No, There's no big yeah. expectation was this time. Because they've had that time to work, there is a bigger expectation. And see, to be fair, again, I can only speak from my son's point of view. He's he's personally thriving from reports I'm hearing from other kids. Um, whilst it's hard work for the parents, I mean, who aren't trained to be teachers, they're doing very well and they're more switched on to actually do it. Yeah, but,
0: but if you take a five and six-year-old kid, my daughter's 15 and my son's uh, 18, we're homeschooling with regards to mass for, for Lauren, and, and they've got a structured way. But see, a five- or six-year-old, the best way they can learn is through interaction and play. So see, when you go a walk to the shops and you've got £3 in your horn, right, how many, that's £3 coin, so I'm going to spend 50 pence. So what do you think I'll get back? And, and you get them learning through that side of things, rather than sitting down there and writing sums out and saying, right, 13 plus 7, okay, what is it then? And you're, oh, wait a wee minute, wait a wee minute. It's all this learning through play, learning through interaction, because uh, I can speak for mine and they're up and, and they don't get a lot of time on the, their, their media devices. But if you're not interacting with, with people like this, having a conversation with somebody. Mm. The, the, the modern youth of today can't interact. They can't have conversations. They don't hold conversations mm. um, for there So you're sitting there and you're, you're talking to your wee boy or you're talking to your wee lassie and they're interacting um, for that. So how does that work then, Daddy? Right, okay, let's do this, do that, do this. And sometimes it's the old case of see and copy. So they see you doing something and then when they're asked,
1: they'll just copy it. Yes, that's a good way of putting it. Um, yeah, like I mean, let's, let's be honest. I mean, with the lockdowns that we have, we are actually in a quite fortunate position that we have this technology that we can you know, go to. But you imagine in the for, in the 40s when there was a World War going on, um, the best people could do um, for going outside was going into a shelter. If they thought their house was getting bombed, you know, and they didn't have the luxuries of television and Um, you know iPads and Zoom and all the rest of it Um, whereas now whilst it's not ideal that you can't go see family etc and as a family man I'm missing certain members of my family at least we know we've got the comfort of if we really want to speak to them we've got our phones and we've got um, you know Zoom it's not the same obviously as meeting them face to face
0: but at least we can still keep in contact with people that's right, the art of telephone conversation, pick up, the, and if you're phoning your, your mum or your dad, the, the art of conversation, having a telephone conversation and then engaging, rather than just sending a text message and then waiting a reply. The young the, the seem to be involved in conversations that they're no actually in, and for them, they might be sitting down, I think, was it Monday night or Tuesday night, we sat down and just watched a program. The four us, all having a laugh and a joke. One of the things we did watch is, is, and this isn't a plug in any way, shape, or form, but we watched the Wheel on a Saturday night, and and we sat there and we all have interactions and we, right, what's the question? Right, what's the answer? What's the answer? And then it's a catchy tune. You you can't help but no start singing along. And um, for there, so you're interacting and you're learning because you're answering the questions. Well, what was that? What was that? Now sometimes Gregs gets the questions right and I get them wrong.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's it! I've never heard of the wheel. Um, I thought you were I'll going to then. say the mass singer, and I would have cut the call right oh, there. Oh, no, but... <laughs> no,
0: no, no. I can't be. Can't be bothered with all that reality stuff. That's rubbish. And um, yeah, but no, the, the wheel Saturday night, uh, BBC One, Michael McIntyre, and um, for there. And I'll tell you, see once you hear the tune, it will be in your mind for the rest of the the weekend, the rest of the week, the rest of the month.
1: I mean, my Saturday nights used to be um, Noel's house party
0: and uh, gladiators. <laughs> that was, oh, aye, aye. how times how the times changed, there? I know it's
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, there's just too many channels now, and probably a lot more rubbish on. To be honest, <laughs> but we uh, we'll, uh, we'll probably come back. We might end up coming back to TV later. Um, so you know, with regards to um, the football just now, um, obviously it's a difficult situation because. Premier League and Championship teams are playing in front of no crowds at all, but they're quite fortunate away because leagues, what, leagues one and two and below, women's football all been cancelled. Um, that's supposed to be ending on Monday, but from what I'm hearing, it's not looking good at all. I think you're talking about March at the earliest, by the sounds of things. It's um, a really bad situation.
0: Yeah, and and those clubs that you've mentioned in the leagues. Really need some sort of finance in order to try and go. Um, I was quite surprised when when some of the lower levels um, actually tried to make a go at uh, How they were going to get the revenue, and because we know that um, is it sixty percent or sixty-five percent of match day revenue counts towards the income of a a football club. So if you're not getting that in, it's very difficult to to keep going and keep going. And you're hearing now the subscriptions of the the club TVs are are no the best in that side. So um, I think, and this is a personal opinion, I think some of these leagues will no start again. They'll, They'll not even see out the season. They'll start to look at some ways of how can they award or, or just in certain null and void and just forget about it and, and, and try and regroup and, and look at, is there an opportunity to start again in August?
1: Yeah, I think that's that could be the case. Certainly the Highland League, I mean, I think they'd only played like three or four games um, because they started in November and then there was a lot of match postponements, etc. In fact, I think three might have been the most um, and then obviously their football got curtailed In Leagues 1 and 2 you've got They'd already cut down to a 27-game season, and some clubs have only played eight. So if you're starting at the, um, at the beginning of March, these clubs are going to have to fit 19 games in over a two-month period. It's just um, a lot to factor. Plus, you've got Scottish Cup coming up, um, and we've still got four rounds of Scottish Cup ties to go through. Um, I, I said earlier on the season that I thought it was they were, they, the authorities were asking far too much of clubs; that uh, they weren't preparing for a Plan B. And all oh right, the Premiership and Championship are still going, but that's proven to be the case because
0: the lower leagues are suffering big time. Yeah, the, and they need, the, need to, the, the the financial input from it. I believe there's this £20 million or something from the government that's, mm-hmm. that's getting distributed out with regards to there. But on the financial support that those clubs have had, it would be interesting to see what percentage, if it not all, have went on testing. Mm-hmm. Well, I think
1: Leagues One and below only did
0: um the temperature
1: check, yeah, because they couldn't afford the proper testing. They were trying to factor that coming in, so I don't know if the government grants um gonna go there. Um but again this just makes it I was speaking to Jamie Swinney, the um chief executive of Stenish Muir last week he gave a very frank conversation and uh, he was honest enough to say that what should have happened um was that league reconstruction should have happened. Um, but it wasn't put forward in a way. Well, basically, when I say it wasn't put forward away, basically, Neil Doncaster wanted the season ended and then handed it over to And Budge, and that was never going to work. That should have been him proposing that as the chief executive in 400 grand a year. So, um, and unfortunately, the club's coming together to find out the best scenario. They were pulling each other apart and self interest came through. And now, as a result, Party Thistle are being done again because they went they get relegated. And now, even though a full time club,
0: they can't play, yeah. But I'm a hundred percent behind you, John. I thought that was a great chance for reconstruction mm-hmm. to look at the leagues and and then you would you would appeased with the 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 Lowland League and the Highland League winners coming up. You would extended the leagues. You have kept everybody in a similar league um, and avoided the so called relegation of Hearts and, and Partick Thistle and stuff like that. But it seems you must need to come up with some brain box thought process to get it through this voting structure. Mm -hmm. This voting structure doesn't allow for something to be democratically voted on when it's 11-1 in the Premier League before you can go anywhere else. Yeah, it's a nonsense. Yeah, Yeah. so there's a... you're right, I'm quite fortunate in doing a, a, a weekly radio stint um, and you talk to the other peoples and, and the fans, the, the clubs, the the chief executives, the chairman, they're all thinking, how can we change this now and get away from the so-called um, self-interest? Yeah,
1: and that's the big thing. I mean, what, what stuck in my throat was that Dave Cormac, I'm an Aberdeen supporters as you know, um, he said that it wasn't the right time for league reconstruction. Well, no, it was the perfect time um, to, to be looking yeah. at it. And, and then he came out saying that he, f- he felt hearts were being um, unfairly chased. Well, you had the chance to get reconstruction put in and you didn't, you, you pulled away from it. Oh, um, yeah. it's, it's just. It's just not right. I just didn't like the way a lot of clubs behaved, uh, I, and that goes for the majority. Um, the petty, the statements were ridiculous. Um, it just wasn't. Oh. It was probably the most embarrassing period for Scottish football, and you've probably seen a lot of it in your time, obviously.
0: Well, that, that thing about it, I think everybody in in Europe and the world are going through the same processes and the same difficulties and stuff like that. But it just seems to be that Scottish football's air that's dirty washing. It's always in the public domain. It's always in in, in, in access for people to to see. And sometimes when you talk to people in England or elsewhere, James, what's happening in your country? And everybody seems to air their their concerns or or their opinions publicly. Whereas sometimes, and and one of the things I was saying about, these chairmen and chief executives of lower down clubs will be running a business or something where they've got some sort of skill to bring to the table. So get everybody round about it. Brainstorm is is the old educational word. Brainstorm your ideas and your thought processes and you might come up with a closer path to trying to get uh, an even keel.
1: Yeah, definitely. But that's just something that's, unfortunately, we're too short-sighted, as we we know. But um, speaking about brainwave, I'm going to need to pick your brain for um, a couple of predictions because Ali Graham in the predictions game we have against, we do lower league predictions every week. Um, So Ali's 7-3 up. So um, he's he's the expert. So we need to try and pull that back. So um, if you could help, that would be great. So are you ready for the... um, to give your thoughts on the three games. So I gave you Air versus Alawa, Hearts versus Dunfermline and Wraith versus Dundee.
0: Right. My prediction for the first one, Air versus Alawa, I'll go for an Air United one. Okay. By how much? Oh, have i got to give the score. Um, yeah, because that's where the double points can come in. That's where the double points come up. Right. And um, I'll go for two one Air United. Okay. Hmm.
1: Uh, top two, Hearts Dunfermline?
0: Hearts Dunfermline, bearing in mind that Dunfermline gave Hearts a hard time and obviously won the game at East End Park, but since then, Dunfermline haven't really kicked on. Yeah. A lot of draws and I think that Hearts will win that game. I think they'll win it possibly 3-1. Well,
1: yeah, I would probably say so, yeah. Um, I mean, last weekend probably just summed up, Hearts get beat by um, Ray Rovers but Dunfermline couldn't score against there. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. And uh, speaking of rovers, um they're at home to Dundee, who've
0: incidentally just signed Jason Cummins, which I think is interesting. Yeah, I heard uh, that the day, yeah, back up the, the road from there. Okay. Um bearing in mind Wraith, great result at Teamcastle on Saturday, but played them again in four in for two days time or something like that and got thumped. Mm-hmm. Um Dundee had uh, hit and miss, they're up, they're done, they're up, they're down I think that's a draw. I think that's going to be a one each draw. One each draw, no problem. Well we'll tweet those um we'll put those in Twitter
1: and we will ask Ali for his predictions. Um Ali mentioned yeah, that he talking. used to work with you on um Max, yeah, then have um,
0: Yeah, we done a we've done a, week in a uh, session on on a radio show, yeah, where we would talk about uh I would go in there and talk about referee decisions, etc and Ali was obviously uh, talking about it as well, but I think he coached, uh, and he was talking about one time he was doing at Cumnock, because uh, I think Air United uh, reserves a second team player at Cumnock, and mm-hmm. he was talking about decisions that night, and uh, asking for a, an explanation. But I Ali. Ali's a good friend, a, a friend of mine, Tom McDonald. Tom oh. played walking like but um, as a manager, and Ali's a good friend of him, so I yeah, know him.
1: Yeah, Ali's a great guy. We've had him on a couple of times. We talked about him about his career, and then we got him to build up the league, and we've done a um, kind of mid-season review from the championship to league Two kind of thing. So, um, well, another shout for Ali, and we'll have him back on soon. So, um, yeah, let's hope that you um, do do better for us. Um, But yeah, we'll come come on to your um, your career Um, just before. Do how did you get um, into football in the first place?
0: I think it's a, it's the common aspect of it. And um, at the school, the school had a football team. Um, you grew up, you you kicked a ball in the school park, and then when you got to primary six, you could go and trial for the the primary seven team, and if you were good enough, you get in, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so that was it, Just playing, um, played in the primary school, then went to the academy. Uh, the academy you either played football or rugby, so again it was football, uh, and and just played with the schools and um, for there, and then uh, went and played with the the local uh, boys club, um, and it just just progressed for there. Any any ability? Probably no. <laughs> which
1: is maybe why you became a referee. I'm looking. I really, I wasn't even good enough to got in the park um, in the school in the school team, so. <laughs> um, You've probably played at a higher level than me, but no. So um, you know, now that you're a retired referee, because I know you weren't allowed to say when you were referee, who was your t- who were your boyhood heroes?
0: Ocken Lake Talbot. I followed Ocken Lake Talbot all the time mm. ever since I was a wee boy. That we used to go into Beechwood and and, and mm. watch them. Um, I followed them, uh, and I loved the junior football. I, I loved the the the. the growing up in the 70s with the, the rough and tumble the auchinleck Talbot Cumnock games the, 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 the Beath-Coburnies the, the, the winning Rangers even medal games and obviously when Auchinleck went to play them you used to watch the blood and guts and thunder and, and don't get me wrong there were some great football players and some great games uh, and I loved the juniors and I loved the support and I loved the atmosphere and I carried that on through and even when I got to, to Grade 1 and I didn't have a game, I always used to go back and watch. And if I like we're playing a wafy home that was too far, um, mm. I would go and watch the, a, another. I would go to Glen Afton up at Newcombe, or I would go to Combe, right. or I would go to Luger, Merkirk. We were lucky enough to have something like seven junior teams in a radius of 13 miles. Excellent.
1: Uh, one of the other presenters, um, his name's also joined, he um, is... And he's he's um, from Auchinleck and Auchinleck's his junior team. Um, he's an Aberdeen supporter as well, but um, yeah, he's got he loves Auchinleck. He loves going to the games. Um, so you know he's been to many of the junior cup wins that, that they've had, and was there when um, they beat United famously in that Scottish Cup tie. You know, that um, that's just the name that when you think junior football, well, the probably well for me being an outsider, the first name that you think of.
0: Oh, I, they are, uh, and to be consistent as well, and, and obviously we'll talk in, in my career, but um, 95, 96, 97, 98, I was starting to go through the, the, the so-called junior grades, if that was it. So come season then 99-2000, Auchinlet were in a bit of a transition period. So they weren't getting to as many finals and stuff. So that gave an opportunity for me to be selected to do finals at that time. Because if let were in the final, there was no way that I was going to be able to referee it because obviously I stay in the village. I've I've took it for there. But um, when I was a wee boy um, playing in in the teams and stuff like that, uh, it's quite funny how um, I used to have a wee affiliation to, to Aberdeen. I loved a player called Ian Scanlon. Yes, I thought Ian Scanlan was a fantastic player, and I always used to kid on that I was going do the left wing and mm-hmm. crossing the ball in for Matt McGee or, or things like that. So I had a week a wee kind of thing to Aberdeen. Oh that's interesting to
1: know. Um I used to pretend to be like Brian because he was my favourite part, or if I wanted to try and be skillful, Ian Jess. Um and I'm lucky enough if I've had both of them on this show, um, speaking to them from adult uh-huh. terms whereas when I was a like, kid I was like, Can I get your autograph? Um but so that's interesting to know that um if when when Light got to finals, um, that you wouldn't be able to referee. Did you ever get were you ever picked to referee them in any type of game or was the juniors restrict? If you support Auckland, you're from Auckland, you cannot referee a
0: game you can't often. Yeah, it was a bit of an unwritten rule. The only time I ever wow. done them in a competitive game was um, the the West Secretary forgot to appoint a referee. Uh, and Henry Dumigan, the, the Secretary, phoned and says, look, Charlie, we haven't got a referee. We've got Auckland here, we've got Renfrew. Uh, would you mind come down and starting the game to the to the referee came? Um, and I says, I ain't no bother. And I says, but tell Colin Lindsay at the time, I said, tell Colin the circumstances. Uh, and I went down to the, as soon as I went down, I chapped the door and I says, look, Colin, you know, I'll obviously stay in the village. I says, but I'll go here and I'll ref to my best ability. I says, if you want to day the game now, now's your time, I says, because I don't want you, today the game and then having an appeals and all that carry on. He says, no Charlie we respect you uh, oh, good, because we don't want to come back down here on a Wednesday night um, because it was like, sometime in May it was like, fulfilling the fixtures uh, and fortunate enough for me the game finished two each.
1: <laughs> yeah that is lucky yeah, then. Yeah. but then there might have been conspiracies that you got them a draw, but <laughs> I'm sure you laughed at So you, you mentioned you refereed in a Junior Cup final um, what No was I never.
0: Oh, I've never done not? the junior, oh, no. I've done the West and in season ninety nine two thousand. I've done the West Cup final, the Ayrshire Cup final, right, the Jackie okay, Scarlett Cup final. So I've done all of them. I regret well, regrets. I don't have regrets, but I would have liked to have been in the junior. I would like to have done the junior cup final that year. Uh, Ian Brains refereed it. All right, okay. After that Brinesy refereed it. Uh, I can't mind who was in it, but uh, Brinesy refereed it. All right. Okay, I didn't realize that.
1: So, how big, how good an education was that coming through the junior ranks, and before you ended up, obviously, getting on the um, the last four league games.
0: Massive, massive. Because at that time, the juniors was players having had a senior career and coming back down into the juniors, and also there was guys who had maybe had. Uh, professions that they had wanted to progress Mm -hmm. and therefore were happy to play. So you were were effectively refereeing different characters in there. And as you, as a young 25, 26-year-old, it was important to conduct yourself in a manner that would gain respect. And that was the massive learning curve that I was able to take through that. Because I remember going to Colburnley uh, Colburnley against Colwinnon. And if Cawinon had won the game, Cawinon would win the league. If Cawbunny won the league, the, the game, Lake would win the league. And Ale- and, and Minford, uh, John Minford, sorry, was the manager of Cawbunny, and he had just left Auchinleck uh, and also his sidekick, and his sidekick made a, a gave a free kick, and he made a a comment, and it involved the Lake and various other things. And I pulled him, I took him out the dugout and he's like, oh, what, what you doing, what are you doing? Uh, and I says, look, I says, I've says i got far too much respect for you. You've played junior football all your days. I says, I'm just wanting to control this game. I says, but you're in amongst a dugout where over the, the your shoulder is all the winning supporters. And for that, so just watch your P's and Q's. And that gave me a great... Uh, to, to referee the, the, the game uh, and and understand how people then, at the end of the game, he come up and he says, I really appreciate the way you spoke to me. And that gave me an, an opportunity to to get a personality and get a, a man management system into me mm-hmm. uh, as early in the game. Because when you start to off in the juniors, you were, ref, horreff, ref. And then when your your last season in the juniors, it was, oh, Charlie, how's that? No foul, oh, Charlie, how is that? And it gave you a a chance to build a rapport with the the players that were in the games. Yeah,
1: I mean, communication is so important. I mean, a lot of fans have the perception that um, referees just take the, t- the school teacher approach and then um, you know d- down talk players etc i don't know how true that is in some cases you know that might be um, true with some but not so much others in terms of your m- method of communication you know what w- what was the most important thing to y- to you in terms of making sure you got through this game
0: was was to control the game but keep the game flowing always look for an opportunity to Play on, where it might be an advantage, but it might not be a clear advantage. But because of the cl- the, the teams maintained possession, but go back and tell the player, "Look, I know it's a foul, hundred percent, but your guy's away with it." But he has it? No, but he's knocked it by him and he's away. And and letting people know what you were trying to to, to the thought process of, of your game, and see if the the less times you blow the whistle. The, the less opportunities players have got a chance to get into your your face and, and have a go at you and just keep it. But never to the detriment of control of the game and for that. I remember Bobby McCulloch, uh, the guys in the juniors in Ayrshire will know Bobby. Bobby turned around and said, Charlie, see we have 10 minutes to go. Never pull a player across and speak to him because he's no interested, particularly if he's doing one nothing. He wants the game to go on and try. You're either going to do nothing and talk or caution him. Don't pull him over and say, oh, no more, that's three times. He's not interested. He's thinking, how can I get this back to one each? Or how can I play this game out to one one nothing?" And that was a great bit of advice that I took as well. And I took that into the senior game because I never spoke to players in the first 10-15 minutes. I never spoke to players five minutes before half time, five minutes after half time, in the last ten minutes. I always choose my place. I don't mean speak to them as in um, official warnings and all that stuff, but have a conversation with them. So after maybe about twenty minutes, uh, you're through it. Uh, you're through it time castle and it's hearts against them de- and de it, and it's a lovely summer's day and you'll turn around and you'll say something, somebody oh a bad day to come through to Edinburgh for a, a, a decent game of football how you's feeling oh, okay aye, we're, we're, we're all this etc etc and just have a bit of banter because then they've settled into the game whereas if you do that in the 1st five, ten minutes players are still thinking right what are we are we four four two against a four two two, etc etc and for there so that was a kind of thought process that I, I took into myself as well
1: yeah, I mean, that's, that's another thing that I'll just uh, allude to. You're talking about, um, you know, when you have conversations with us. When you mention about, when you talked about um, warnings, et cetera. So say, for example, when I saw you refereed a couple of Habs Hearts games. Different type of game to any other ones. And there might be some things that you let go because of that particular game. But say you had Scott Brown flying into a challenge, a young Scott Brown flying into a challenge in the first 10 minutes. And then he does, he does another one. At that point, is that when you start saying, listen, that that's too, I know it's a, an important game, but just try and channel it because I, I, don't want, I don't want to book you for something silly.
0: I'll tell you, I'll tell you a true story. My first Edinburgh derby, I'm standing in the tunnel at Easter Road and you've got Scott Brown and Paul Hartley and you know they're matching up. You know they're matching. So you're walking by them and you're saying to them, Right, guys, are we, are we going to be in a three triangle, or can I get away out the road I used to today, or <laughs> do I need to be away? With? And that sets the thinking process with regards to that. And you're right, Scott went into a challenge 38 minutes or something. It's a caution. But also, what you know is that Paul's going to come back at him. So I think it was about 78 minutes or something. The, the challenge came back, and it's a caution. And when you're you're cautioning them, you're saying to him, right, That's one each, guys, isn't it? Aye, aye, aye. We're here to play football. We're not here to kick each other. Come on, go on with it. And I remember as well, the two of them went for a 50-50 in the ground. And I get right in there and I just said, right, guys, I'll give you a hon up. And hon up and let's go on with the game. And it changes the thought process sometimes of players Mm -hmm. when they hear the the voice so close.
1: Yeah, that's
0: that's a good... Good way of
1: thinking, um, because obviously you know that. Too, I mean, because we all see the expression, then um, because it's a, it's a derby, some things get let go that maybe in another league game you might just just put, pull the card out. So it's um, you know at least uh, you know you can settle the occasion, but without letting it get out of control yeah. it, um, as well. Um, so I mean, you, you started off, um, so you get into senior ranks in two thousand one, two thousand two. Um, I've got here that your first game. Um, in senior football, Dumbarton versus Breakin, Scottish Division 3, August, t- Saturday, 4th August 2001. What do you recall from that?
0: Or have you it got was, something different there? It was freezing. Dumbarton was always In freezing. August as well. <laughs> I always, the, because at that time they had moved to the bottom of the rock. They used to be up, uh, what was it, Bogheed? Used to be bogged down by bogey so they moved. So it was freezing with regards to there. And um, Dunbarton had a striker. Oh f- God, what was his name? And he battered in the goals. Uh, and and Brecon had had two old experience heads at the back. Oh God, that's going to annoy me, now, Paddy. No, Paddy Conley, was it? No, was it Paddy Connolly? Well, I've got the team. I've actually Spidey. got the
1: team list say There's Paddy Flannery, maybe Dumbarton. Is Flannery, that that's him.
0: That's yeah. him. Paddy Flannery. And, that's um, him.
1: Harry, Ke- oh. Harry Kearney at uh, Breakin. That's a name that might yeah, be remembered. Alan Kernigan, believe it or not.
0: Yeah, remember Big Allen. Big Al- I think Big Allen and Pi and the pa- and, and, uh, thing they played centre half and yeah. sweeper. Mm-hmm. And Flannery was up there. So again, the young boy with the old heads, and and you are trying to control them through. Can don't react to the nipping, don't react to the stinging in your tays and stuff like that. Um, with regards to there, but just to get involved in, in senior football was was uh, fantastic.
1: Yeah, um, it was mainly lower league games that season. But the following season, you start getting more Premier League games. I know you got one at the end of the, um, the end yeah. of the previous season, yeah. but. That's,
0: <clears throat> yeah, that's how it kind of what, John. Uh, when you went to grade one, you were in the lower leagues, um, and and you got to 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 get a feel for it, um, and and make sure that you you were still maintaining the same ability that you had in the juniors, with regards to there. And um, and the end of that season, uh, the third division, the third division was between Hamilton, Brecon. And Cowden Beath. And I done the game at Cowdenbeath and Brecon If Hamilton won, I think Hamilton were up the road at Montrose. If Hamilton won, they won the league. If Brecon won, they won the league. And if Cowden Beath won, they get promoted. And the funny thing about it is, we had to hod the kickoff up for 15 minutes to let the crowd into uh Cowden Beath. Wow. For that. So that was a, a, a like a reward uh, that I was, I an indicator that I was doing well. At the end of that year as well, I'd done the Youth Cup final. The, it was the BP Youth Cup final at Hamden between Celtic and Aberdeen. Aberdeen won 2-1, two, two I think it was. So again, that was an indication that you were performing well from, from that. Um, and then the following season, the 2001-2002, I started to get a lot of appointments up the East Coast in order for other observers to come and watch you. So that, 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 unbeknown to me at the time, they were looking for a nomination for the FIFA list. So then, in April 2002, I got my first Premier League game, which was Livingston-St. Johnston. Uh, so therefore, I, I had progressed uh, and and. November 2002 the SFA then put their recommendations forward to UEFA of who the officials are going to be so that, that was how things, you started to have an incline that you were starting to do alright
1: Yeah you certainly were starting to do alright you, you started getting more um, more games and uh, you then getting international see, you got Wales-Hungary and Northern Ireland-Germany in the same year
0: um, yeah. that must have been um, quite a feeling yeah that was um, also uh, in February 2002 I was asked to go to Portugal um, for, a, for a, a women's tournament but in February 2002 for everybody that's, that's close to me and know that's when my, my son was born so I had to decline that um, so it was then good to go up Wales Hungary in the Millennium Stadium. Uh just at that time Craig Bellamy had signed for Celtic. And we were actually having a conversation coming off the park. Craig was asking me about what it'd be like in Glasgow and I was saying to him Are you used to the Goldfish Bowl and <laughs> for there and every move will be monitored etc etc. And for there and the Hungarian goalkeeper was the goalkeeper that always wore the tracky trousers
1: no matter no, whether it was
0: Brights he he was the goalkeeper for there, and also um, Gera from West Bromwich Albion mm, played that's a good um, for that. Yeah, he, he was a good he was a good player today. So I John Hartson uh, was injured that day uh, for the Wales game. He didn't play, and then going across to do Northern Ireland Germany was was uh, fantastic. Um, the the the, the Northern Ireland, the hospitality, etc. And the team was was not a bad team at the time. Um, and Germany was full of superstars. And um, Michael Ballach, just watching him with regards to there. But I had to put Robert Huth off after about 10, 11 minutes or something for a, a handball. And awarded the penalty. And Keith Gillespie took the penalty and scored. And I says to him, I says, oh, well, you'll win with a chance now of winning. And he says, "Aye, but they've still got ten internationals on the park." yeah <laughs> <Ello. laughs> I um, think we should have said was
1: um, ten top-class internationals because that was when Germany properly started again. You know, um, they went on 2006 World Cup did well.
0: Yeah, Bastian Weinsteiner was playing. Jans Ludemann was the goalkeeper. Uh, Lamb was the the the, mm. the full back. He, he, oh. Yeah, you just sat back and watched and, and Michael Balach, oh God, what he'd done with a football. Oh, you were like that. And, and see, the funny thing about it is that game allowed me to then start to read the games because I was running to positions where he was putting the ball and I'm thinking, no, no, that shouldn't be. And I started to then think about where does the play go? Do I stay behind of do I go ahead and everything? So that allowed me to, to see the different level of football in order to try and gauge where you should be within the position in the park yeah, to see the be... next challenge or to see the next um, decision. Yeah, that would have been
1: um, an education watching that Gemini team no, that yeah. also went on to great things um, at the start yeah, of
0: you're yeah, to the, the manager. He came in the dressing room, shook your horns, and you thought he was your pal. Oh, how nice to see you, Charlie! Nice to see you. I can't remind the officials. That's a shame. That's, um, and you shoot your horn as if you were pal. And um, for them, you're saying, "Oh, how's it going?" So we a great right good chat. That's good
1: to see because obviously people get a persona, but um, you know. High name footballs. And Jürgen Klinsmann at that t- at that time uh, was one of the biggest names in football, certainly in the 90s, winning the World Cup with West Germany and for Tottenham in the Premier League. And then, but he's come and saying hello to you and shaking your hand. I think that must have been a fantastic honour oh, for you. Yeah.
0: Oh, unbelievable. Yeah, and for there, uh, obviously looked at the match programme and saw the referee's name <laughs> and just come in and shook it. Oh, his name's Charlie Richmond. Yeah. His, best, his best English with regards to that as well. And for there. It was the same when we went to, well, lucky enough to go across to Qatar. We went to, uh, no, sorry, Hong Kong. We went to Hong Kong to referee a tournament. And uh, after the final of the tournament, the game was Hong Kong against Manchester United. And at that time, the reason the trip was across was because Manchester United had just signed um, Jason Park. Oh, yeah, he's a good player. So they were doing, the kind of, they were doing the Asian to try and get the shirt sales and everything, and Alex Ferguson, and Alex Ferguson. So after after the game, we went into the, the boardroom, and Alex Ferguson came across, and it was myself, Jamie Downey, and Stevie Conroy were all across then the game, and uh, he came across and he spoke to us. Uh, and he's like, how are you doing, boys? Good to hear her. A good old Scottish tongue. And, and and I'm not I'm not just saying this, but he must have gave us about half an hour to just to stand there and talk to us and to find out what we were doing, and, and we asked him questions as well. And um, was he governed by Nike? Is this a sponsor? And he says, No, no. He says, I decide what I want to do, where I want to go. But this was an avenue of bringing in to, to get some revenue into the club because of that. And um, for there, but I uh, really and. And uh, really, really brilliant occasion to to, to speak to Sir
1: Alex Ferguson. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me he would have been, um, you know, so welcome with his time because, you know, that's just the the mark of the man. You know, anyone Scottish that comes near him, you know, he's desperate to chat away. So, no, it's... That must have been awesome. Um, yeah. But what, uh, whilst Alex Ferguson might have been pleased to see, I don't think um, St Johnston at the start of 2004, 2005 would have been pleased to see because you sent off three other
0: players against St man. Do you remember that game? Yes, I remember it well. I remember it well. Um, the big centre forward that played with Rar had then signed for St Johnston. Um Oh, God. Michael and Moore. Up, Michael Moore. He ended up playing Michael Burnley. And I think he's in coaching in the moment. And he started flinging his elbows about and he caught the centre half. And I put him off. Uh, and there was another two yellow cards and then there was another red card. John Conley was the manager of St Johnston, mm-hmm. And he, had a, he came into the dressing room after the game. And I've never declined anybody into my dressing room. But he came in and the first thing he said was, do you think you've had a good game? And I was like, ah. I says, "What do you mean?" He says, "Do you think you've it? I says, Look, I've done what I did?" And he, he voiced his his opinion and his thing to and across. And the funny thing about it was, it didn't last long, and he got the sack, and he ended up as an SPL delegate. And then he tried to come into my dressing room and tell me how to referee a game of football as an SPL delegate. And I just says to him, "I says, hey, have you got a short memory, John?" And, and when we we're past, never crossed through there. But aye, there the, the, the the, the were no contentious decisions or anything. I thought they were all straightforward and merited through um, there.
1: Well, if your superiors back, that's the main thing. I mean, if they had a problem, then that might be a different kettle of fish. Do you remember who was in goal for St. Johnson that day? I'm looking at these team lines on this website where I've got my information. Alec Main. No. It was a young Alan McGregor.
0: Oh, James. James. Uh, one loan from you stayed on the back. Only <laughs> <laughs> <All a> joking.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Um so you oh, mentioned you had your first um Edinburgh Derby. Um according to what I could see it was in two thousand six, seven. Both Brown and Hartley by that time were at um were at Hearts. You didn't have to send off any of them, but you did send off Michael Lewis. I could not I
0: could not I c I couldn't I'd run out of I'd run out of my, my armory, I'd run out of my tools, I'd run out of everything. At that time, my personal opinion, because of the influx of, of Lithuanian players, two hearts, <laughs> and Hibs were a good team at that time. Yeah. I, I thought they were there were hard games to, to referee. Um and it he, he goes done too easy, he's looking and he gives you chibs and chibs. Mm-hmm. And I remember just before I I think it was about, what, 80 minutes or something? 79, 80 minutes I had to send him off. And there was a corner about five minutes before, and I said to Stephen Presley, I said, Stephen, I've run out I've ran out of lifelines. I can't talk to Michaelunas any more. The next thing he does, no matter how major, minor, he's off the park. If he fouls, it will draw attention to him. He's off the park. Stephen Presley shouted by me, and he says, Hey, you, Lunas." calm yourself down and don't be so stupid. And then, of course, I had to send him off. It was a tackle, quite near the touchline, second yellow card. And as I'm saying, showing the red card, I see Stephen Presley running towards me. And I'm thinking, oh, no. And he ran right by me and he had a go at Michaelunas. And he says, we tried to tell you. And off he went up the tunnel. But I think the game bit, finished in a draw. Did it yeah, a two draw?
1: each. Um, Vollicis scored yeah. twice for so They came from two yeah. two down in that game, looking at it. But um, just, I mean, I know you didn't get the Old Firm game um, from what I could see, but Edinburgh Derby must have been a special game. The referee
0: in at that particular time, yes, because of that. Um, I thought there were there were difficult games. There were the, the language barrier, etc., etc. And I remember going into the dressing room and saying, "Is there anybody who doesn't speak English? Because there's no us me talking and they don't understand English because that could be perceived as being rude or whatever the case may be." And that's when Stephen says, "If you've got any problems, just talk to me and and I'll get across." I don't know if Stephen could talk Lithuanian, <laughs> but no, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I done I think I done a total in six, one each season, one each season after that, and. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 yeah, they were good atmosphere. Um, at that time, Easter Road wasn't fully developed. It was still the old, whatever you want to say, it, across with the, the main stand. Was great atmosphere in it with regards to there. Um, and I remember coming off one of them, and the wee ball boy handed me a pool ball, a, a, a number eight pool ball. And he says, I found that in the six yard box. I says, well, you just give me that and don't say anything. <laughs> 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 in a way, with regards to there, but yeah, they were great. They were good. Um, I don't think there was any animosity or anything for there in the games and stuff like that. But um, I remember one of them that said something like, uh, "What was it?" It said that um, Richmond issued his first. Caution after seventy-five minutes in this pulsating match that was thoroughly deserved. And that was when, and again, it's just keep the game going, but not to the detriment detrimental control of it and for there. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, love love my time in the Embraer derbies and.
1: Uh, I just want to pick up the the captains' um, relationships because there's often this imp- um, impression that maybe what should be happening on a football park is that. Just the captains go speak to the referee and it would um, hopefully diffuse the situation. But from a referee's point of view, how important was that relationship with, you know, to keep dialogue with the captains um, of each club to try and, you know, because they're the ones that need to try and maintain discipline in the pitch? I know it's difficult in a high um, emotive game where points are at stake, league titles at stake, relegations at stake, etc. But at least you've got that voice to talk to.
0: Sometimes it it wasn't the captain, funnily enough, John. You could go through the teams and you could see a player that would be a champion for you. Right? So you've mentioned you're, a, you're an Aberdeen supporter. So at that time, Scott Severin. Mm-hmm. Scott Severin was somebody you could go to and say, Scott, I'm having trouble diff- dealing with him. Like, leave it with me. Take it for that. But that didn't mean to say that if he didn't commit another foul, he would get cautioned but you're just trying to get somebody else to get into your thought process of how you're going to try and control this game and just trying to talk through them. And for there. I, the captain, it just lets everybody know, but sometimes if you use a, a good stern, loud voice, mm-hmm. everybody knows what you're thinking round about it so that when you go and produce that second yellow card, mm-hmm. everybody turns around and says, well, he told you before.
1: And you've just totally ignored them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I get that point that, you know, although you can have captains without the armband, like David Weir was an example. Even though Barry Ferguson had the armbands, David Weir was a leader figure in that Rangers team um, at that particular time. Um, Same, Steve McManus had the um, armband at, at Celtic, but... You guys like Scott Brown and Gary um, and Gary Caldwell as well that you could probably talk to. Um, so yeah, uh-huh. is,
0: you, you, it's yeah, you identified them, and again that built up about a of rapport to say, well, we can talk to this referee. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and I another Embraer, another two was that you had to send two players off. Um, i right. get uh, from what I recall. Almost similar incidents. There was the the one in two thousand nine where the Hearts goalkeeper Balak and I think it was it Sol Bamba um yet yeah. to red card then. Was that a tunnel incident that one? No, that
0: was that was um that was a goalkeeper coming straight out and took um, Fletcher. Mm-hmm. He took right out the game, uh wide, so he was off he was off for the challenge and not the the the, the thing they did denying the obvious goal scoring ah, opportunity right. aspect of it. And then the Soul Bamba one, he not made somebody, and he was in the corner of the box, and it was only him going into the goalkeeper, mm-hmm. and uh, I can't even mean uh, he came across somebody, come, and and he and so uh, Christian Nadi, Christian Nadi was in the edge of the box with the ball, he would made, and so Bamba had come across, and just as he was about to thing the. He took them right out of the game, so, so to put so bamboo, and it happened within five minutes of each another. If they were, they were lucky enough,
1: yeah. And then the following season, a draw, a new year game, you had to send off Darren McCormick of um, Hibs and Ruben Pal- um not a Lithuanian, um, for, for hearts. Um, that was the yeah, December, remember uh, that. January
0: 2010. Yeah, I remember that again. Funnily enough, Christian Nadi was flying down the wing. And get fouled. And there was a wee thing there about the ball. And I looked across the, my left eye into the penalty area. The Hibs boy was a young boy. But the Hearts boy was in just nodding the heat into him, putting the heat into him, putting the heat into him. And the wee boy just totally reacted and bang, stookied him. And I, I couldn't ignore it. But I, I had sympathy for the young boy because the Hearts player had wound him up. And the funny thing was that again that happened just around about the half time. And I put the two of them off and the game bubbled a wee bit. Mm-hmm. And everybody, what is he what's the offer? What's the offer? I says they're both offer headbutts. They're both offer headbutts. Yeah. And um, the hearts manager. Uh, well, that's what it might have been at that point. Come across it, it, come across and said, the player I says headbutt. And John Hughes was the Hibs manager. Mm-hmm. And John got me down the tunnel and down the stairs. And he says, did you have to put the boy off? I says, I've got every sympathy for him because he's been antagonised. I says, but you watch, watch the video. So they obviously went into the Sky Sports, the Sky Television, and watched the replay of it. And see when we come out in the second half, everybody was like, ah, great spot, great spot and because of the two of them. But the, the, the hearts player had just sucked the young boy in. And of course, they just retaliated. Mm-hmm. Which manager
1: gave you the most um, grief from the touchline during your um, career?
0: Uh, Gus. I didn't. Gus was always one first. for. Gus went first. Mm-hmm. Gus would fling you a hook and see if you bat. He knew he had you. So sometimes you just kind of let him go. But um, also, as well, was Peter Houston. Uh, I didn't. I didn't take to Peter Houston uh-huh. uh, in every way, shape, or form. Man for there, um, you'd probably sit me and Guston in a room and we'd be all right with each another. And for there, but just the the thingies of the ninety minutes, the, the 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 tension of the game, I just it would always do that wee snidey comment or whatever, and and sometimes you'd have a wee snidey back and and all that carry on. But but uh, a healthy banter is probably the concept there. But Peter Houston was he was no a nice guy, my opinion. Really.
1: What what in particular um you know made them unapproachable for you?
0: Who was that? Houston. Because because he 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 only saw it his wife all the time. I remember a game St Johnston Dundee United. And St Johnston had just signed the boy Robertson for Dundee United mm-hmm. and left footed player. Left footed player Went for Dundee United to America. Scotland internationalist. Johnny Russell. Russell. Ball into the box. Robertson headed the ball on, and Johnny Russell kicked him in the face. Penalty kick. At half time, Peter Houston lambasted me, absolute, and I couldn't. He, he, he couldn't. Didn't want to know my opinion, and just lambasted me. And and then the way back out in the second half. I shouted to him. I said, "Did you see the video?" And he just totally dingied me. He was always wanting has a point, and then he just if it didn't if it didn't meet what he said, he just turned away.
1: Yeah, that's disappointing to hear. I mean,
0: I mean, it comes across the, the, uh, in the media. it comes across in the media as a nice guy and stuff like that. But even the cameras off. Mm. Yeah, I
1: can. I can imagine. I mean, obviously, I don't know, Pierce. I can't comment. So, um, but yeah, I'll, I'll definitely take care um, more for that, Charlie. Um, but I mean, but in, in general, I mean, I, I know that referees get criticised a lot from the um, from managers when when emotions um, are are still high at the end of a game. But you know, generally, did you um, once once they once they reviewed your decisions, did you feel as though that you got an okay and that they eventually would see your viewpoint, even if they didn't always agree.
0: Yeah, I, th- I don't think I ever shut my door to anybody. Uh, I let them come in. Uh, I let them uh, think they... I remember St. Johnson, St. Murm. uh I, I gave, gave a penalty. Uh, handball. I couldn't have told you who hand St. Murr player yeah, for that. And Gus chapped my door. And he says, give a word with you, Charlie. And I says, aye. He says, just to let you ken, I've went out into the media there and absolutely lambasted you. Absolutely tore straps off you. And I says, well, thanks very much for that. And it was all because of an incident right at the end. Uh, St. Johnson got a penalty and scored. And uh, Stephen O'Donnell. I met Stephen O'Donnell when he played with Dundee. And Stephen said, ah, it was me that uh, hand it. But the the, the the officials on the game couldn't tell me who, who hand it. It was a handball, but they couldn't tell me who. I think it was this, I think it was that. It must. It looked so untidy. It must have taken about 30 seconds to a minute and a half to get the game restarted um, with regards to there. And it kind of hung me out to dry uh, and, and gus. And I said to him, why do you not come in and chat? Until, and, and I gave you my opinion you could have took that to the media and he says nah he, he says, I've just tore strips off you um, because of St Mumford were in danger of going down uh, and the funny thing about it is Stephen O'Donnell if I had a cop his handball in the goal line he would have been off and he would have missed the, the next week's game and I think did Stephen tell me or something did he not contribute to St Mumford staying up or something like that um, for there there you so, go. Yeah, but I, I, again, I never turned my door down to anybody. I was quite happy for people to come in and vent their anger, or whatever the case may be, uh, and then just leave it be with regards to there. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's really good. <clears throat> um, I remember I was
1: going to go um, go with that. Um, you, you you did manage to get a Champions League qualifier as well, though. Um, you got um, Ball versus um, IFK Gothenburg. So obviously, I spoke to. When I spoke to John Nobot he was telling me about um you know the communication when he's dealing with you no know, players out there. But um you know, from yourself, you know, you're also dealing with a lot of players who probably don't speak English, although I think in ball IFK Gothenburg's case there's probably more um guys that speak better English than what Scots do. Um so how is that um occasion just being able to referee a qualifier like that? Excellent. Great
0: because... Basel had just had their stadium redeveloped because mm-hmm. the Euro Championships had just been there. Right. The San Jacob Stadium um, in regards to, to the, the name of the park. Um, and you go across there, and what you've got to then do is you've got to... Can you remember the first time you ever went on holiday as a tourist? Mm-hmm. And you think to yourself, how can I order four beers here and for there? So you then become the, the tourist aspect and what you then have to do is you have to bring three things into your your armory. And when I mention one of them, you'll see why Kalina became the best referee. Your eyes. Communicate oh, yes. with your eyes. <laughs> communicate with your whistle. And communicate with your hands. When you go abroad, that's the type of referee you become. And you need to take it with regards to there. There's no yes. Trying to talk and all that because they, the guys you no know, understand or whatever and and they take it for there. I tell you a funny, a funny true story. I went to Atletico Madrid. Simone was playing along with Aguero and Forland. Torres had just moved to Liverpool a couple of days before. So Simone, I cautioned him after about twenty-six minutes, and I said to him. I says, Dosa Maranello in Banderos. And he looked at me. And he looked at me. And at that time, my daughter, my daughter was into Dora the Explorer. <laughs> so I picked up I picked up this Dosa Maranello in Banderos. <laughs> and Simone came up to me at half time and he says, Referee, referee. He says, why do you say to me two flip-flops in the satchel? <laughs> I thought I was saying two, two yellow cards in the bath.
1: <laughs> and there's a, a, a lesson there. Don't pick up your Spanish from Dora the Explorer. <laughs> <laughs> for
0: there. So, oh, there's, there's you trying to be smart. Trying to be smart for there. Um,
1: just, I just hope you didn't pick up your French from Del Boy Trotter. No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and and one of one the early stages as well, from we get miked up, from we became communication. I went to Teincastle, and um, the right back, Casnoble. Her heart's right, Casnoble mm. was it was a New Zealander, and my sisters in New Zealand, and they're very similar language as in the, the tone. But I realised my sister, I says, oh, I says you you a Kiwi pal. I said, you come from New Zealand. He says I. He says make people think I'm Australian. And I was like, I said, oh, your beauty! I've got him on my side. <laughs> so I turned. The ball went to the other side of the park, and I turned around to Robbie Nielsen. I says, what country do you come from? And he says, I stay in Canberra, old And we and we joined, uh we Jim. Uh, oh God, the assistant referee, we Jim. Oh God. He's and all you could come through the night was What 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 country is Cumbernauld Then Is that Sweden or Finland? <laughs> and you just see me burst out laughing. And again that gave me a rapport with Robbie Nielsen. <laughs> it's, it's, it's every time we come on, I say Robbie, have you been back to Sweden? And he's like, get yeah, yourself so care to Charlie and um, for that. Jim McBride Jim McBride no Jim McBride. Oh God, that's a shame. Then the boy does Why what, what Scandinavian countries come in? <laughs> oh, that was hilarious. But again, I was trying to I was trying to be too smart and, I, and it and kind of backfired against me. Uh
1: it's about four thousand miles west of Gothenburg. Oh um, my God. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it is. Yeah. me. that was that, that. was what I was going to come on to, it the um, relationships with your assistants. Because again, you know what perceptions like with football fans? You know, the perception is that, that um, the assistants don't help out enough. How much help do you, do you were, were there occasions where you you would turn to your assistant if you weren't sure and you felt that you didn't get the support that you needed at that, that particular moment?
0: That was one of the reasons why I never got to an old film game. They didn't think I had the attributes and the working partners with the assistants at that time. And I thought I did. There was guys that would look at the ballot and be delighted to be on with you. And there was guys that just put up with you. That's just common in any working relationship. You'll not get on with everybody and for that side of things. But communication, when you only, When not the mic'd up, it was all about eye to eye contact. Look at your assistant referee and have expressions where you're looking for help. And if he sees it, now there's no yes if the referee gives the free kick and there's, there's no yes the assistant referee flagging because everybody knows it's a free kick. But if you don't see it as a free kick, then he comes in and helps you with regards to there. Mm-hmm. It's the same with the scenario. I, I know who's ha- I know it's a handball, but I can't tell you who it was. So why come in and tell me that? Because effectively, I've got nowhere to go. And for that, I'm walking about, It was it you? No, it wasn't me. Every football player's going to take it for regards to there. So when you build up a rapport with the guys, then that's when you look at them to give you the the, the help that you're needed. And one bit of advice I always used to say, or one bit of pre-match instruction I used to say was, put yourself in the middle and think would you want help at this particular time? And if you can answer yes, come in and give me help. But if you think no, then don't. Don't come in and draw attention. Because see, once that assistant referee puts that flag up, we've got nowhere to go. We've got to act on for there. Oh, that's an interesting
1: uh, insight. Um, and that, is, that, is that probably where the biggest difficulties of your career that you never got? a national cup final or an O-Firm match.
0: Yeah, because at, at that time 2007-2008 you were starting to move um referee the 2007 Scottish Cup semi-final. Was in, was the fourth official in the final in the 2006. Mm-hmm. The the 2007 League Cup final I was fourth official. I done the following back to back League Cup semi-finals. So you're looking to say to yourself, well, the next progression is the Scottish Cup final and the League Cup final, but um, yeah, you go through the you go through life and disappointments and, and things like that. So, um, but for a FIFA referee who was probably one of the top fifty in Europe, no to get that next stage, and for them to turn round and say it's no because of your refereeing ability. Was a big kick in the teeth to me.
1: <clears throat> so, what was the reason that they didn't give it? Was it just simple because of your relationship with linesman? It
0: was b- because of the concept that they had seen me as being, uh, a, a, what could we say, a, on your own aspect. You're no part of the team. You're no oh. thing from there because I work in education. I couldn't get across to Spain, so the, the annual trip to Spain was in usually January, February time. Mm -hmm. Now, can you imagine me coming into you and saying, by the way, John, can you cover my classes for the next four days while I go and run about in Spain, whilst you've got your own classes to cover? Very, very difficult with regards to there. So there was was not a perception given, uh, or there was not a leeway given to circumstances, whereas other referees turned up for two days and got flights home. And um, because of their work commitments. So it wasn't it basically you you, you what you were seen as being a non team player.
1: Well, that's that is pretty disappointing here. And obviously you end up leaving in twenty twelve because you start getting less um, Premier League games. I believe that you weren't on the it was because you weren't on the, the Premier League list for the following season, um you hung up your whistle. Um what was the what was the full reasons? Um I, I know that John, the, the late John Fleming came out and uh, said it was performance related. Um, but what, what in your eyes was the real reason that you decided enough was enough, hang up the whistle?
0: The the relationship had broken. I thought that I was doing as much as I possibly could to try and keep them into it, and I'll go right back to 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 when it all started. I came back for Qatar, and and we started to do work in my house I put an extension on it and it wasn't just a wee extension the people that will listen to this or know me it's a reasonable sized extension so we moved out so the work could be done but one of the early days the people doing the work cut the telephone cable so I lost communication so therefore I sent an email to the SFA, totally explaining everything and within two days the head of referee at that time sent an email back and says, I haven't had your training data for the last couple of days. I says, well, I don't have communication. I went and stayed. We, we went and stayed with my mother-in-law for that whole time. So I was just asking for a bit of leeway. So everything started to fall down. And it was all seemed as if I was in the wrong, I was in the wrong, I was in the wrong because I couldn't go to Spain because I, I, I was then... Uh, no training in the association where I was. I was training. I was doing things with regards to that, but it always seemed to get blown out of proportion with what I was doing, as I kept them in the loop. Uh, and then ultimately, I made as you quoted the, the 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 thing there. I made five mistakes penalty related decisions, not whether there were red cards, not whether I didn't send off a player or whatever. And I get dem- I get you talk about demoted. I get took out the Premier League. And I refereed the full next season in the Championship and lower leagues. And not one person in the refereeing movement could come and tell me that that's what's happening to me. And when I questioned, I had to go to a, a, a very good friend. And when I questioned, he says, you'll no get a Premier League game this season. And then on 2010, 28th of December, 2010, I get pulled up to Hamden i a meeting. And the opening statement was, it's nothing today with your refereeing ability, but we don't think you've got the attributes today in an old firm game. And I turned around and I said, so that's my card. And they turn and eventually for there. So the next season, my mother-in-law told me, go and do it and then get yourself back into the Premier League. So I got myself back into the Premier League the following season. I think I'd done about two games, or three Premier League games. And then I just made my mind up. And that morning, I knew I was going to go that year. And I just made my mind up in April. I'm going Before the grading meeting in May, so that I could the opportunity to give to one of my colleagues in Ayrshire to get to grade one. Because I don't think Ayrshire would have had five Grade 1s. So therefore, with me leaving, that would have gave the opportunity to, to, to for a referee in Ayrshire to get up to Grade 1. And I just went. I sent my email in that I resigned. And there was people, there was grumblings within the colleagues that they started to, oh, Charlie Richmond's doing this, Charlie Richmond's doing that, Charlie Richmond's doing that. And I just thought, no, because you were then working. I went to a dressing room, I made a comment I made a a comment and on the Monday morning, I went to the dressing room on the Saturday and on the Monday morning I got a phone call from the SFA saying, watch what you're saying in dressing rooms. Now I know who the four people in the dressing room were and I know the person who commented back to the SFA. So once that starts going to put black marks against you then it's time to go and the fact that I was never going to get the, the, the old firm game or the cup final for that as I said referee on the FIFA list and not getting an old firm game the one I thought I was uh, was in my a shout for was at Celtic Park and Steve Conroy done it and that was the time that um, Lafferty Went in Over the top And Stephen Mm. Mahi. And for there Hinkle you mean Was it Hinkle was it
1: Yeah Because Mahi was 10 years
0: before that Sorry So Hinkle And then there was a debate About the goal Now I've got nothing Against anything But I was just delighted That that game Didn't turn out well Because it backfired In the SFA That's a thing That I've never ever said To anybody John So there's a wee first For you um, With regards to there And that time I was in the local association, Ayrshire Referees, and some people in that association wanted me out as well. So I just decided to go and get away out the road. And at that time, my kids were growing up and starting to get involved in football. So I just cut the cloth. So it was Easter, uh, Easter, and I just decided that was it. So my last game was Livingston-Ross County. Livingston because my first Premier League game was Livingston. And the funny thing about it was the manager at Livingston was John Hughes. And John come in and he says, how are you doing, Charlie? Good to see you. I says, oh, this is my last game, John. He says, what? I says, ah, this is my last game. He says, what age wise? I says, no, I've had enough. He says, oh, Ken, can how you feel? So, so at 70 odd minutes, Livingston, Ross County made a substitution. And the Tannoy guy comes up and says, I'd just like to make a mention to the, the, the referee, Charlie Richmond. This is his last game today. and So wish him all the best. And we, Bobby Barr, was playing for Livingston. And we, Bobby, turned around and he says, You're not geeing up, are you? I says, Aye, I've had enough. And he says, And we've got some donkeys running about as you're geeing up. I says, Well, these things just happen, pal. <laughs> and, and I left and I went away from him. and I drove back down the road and that was that chapter closed time to to move on Yeah, it's obviously
1: something that had been brewing for a while as you mentioned and also within that that time scale as well, you had um, the referee strike happening which all started with the famous Dougie MacDonald incident um, which didn't go down particularly well and then obviously it led to the stuff with Hugh Dallas and then the referee yeah. strike happened. foreign referees came over. It just wasn't a nice environment. I mean, just how much abuse did you end up taking? Well, she wasn't one of the referees in the forefront making the decisions. But did you feel any of that personally? Um, no,
0: not at all. Not at all. I cannot. There's only one thing ever that that affected me and my family in any way, shape, or form. It was a Saturday night. I got a dodgy phone call. We were ready to go out and Alison says, there's such and such on the phone. And I'm like, what? What's he phoning for? And I picked up the phone and there was a hurl of abuse and then put the phone down. And that's the only thing ever that I suffered uh, with regards to the players. Players would make the comment. You know the players would make the comment in frustration and things like that. But no, there was nothing... I cannot remember anybody questioning my integrity or whatever the case may be. I think it whole things started because when the Dougie McDonald Tannadice incident, I went on the radio uh, and I said to them, I said, "Well, once you start kind of telling porky pies, I think it's time that you, you you start to to look at yourself." And that that probably didn't go down well as well within it. So so um, I never suffered anything. Um, and I never went to that meeting um because my sister was over for New Zealand. Again, I asked I sent an email in saying can I get permission for no going to the Shybreak Excelsior Stadium? And that was again met with some sort of animosity. And for, uh, a good friend of mine at the SFA turned around and says, Why do you not know stay in it just for the money? I says, I but there's got to be happiness as well. <laughs>
1: I mean, that's it. I mean, it's all so well saying you're getting a few hundred a game. Um, but at the end of the day, you've got to be happy. And, yeah. um, if you're not happy, then it's probably best to, to step aside. Um, I mean, you've yeah. obviously kept involved with the game. You've, you've done stuff with Dale Records. You've been in the media, as you've mentioned. Um, what's your thoughts on the standards of referee now? Because, um, I mean, again, this all goes down to perception. There's been a few referees for me that have been fast tracked far too early. Um, I won't name them. Um, but what's your thoughts? Oh of come, on, come
0: on, come on, give us! All right, Andrew, Dallas, there. there's
1: the prime example. He shouldn't be well, in the top flight.
0: Oh, well, who's his father?
1: Aye, well, we know that.
0: And <laughs> um, for that side of things, the problem is, and I'll give you a wee background to this story. I went on one of my early trips to Zurich, Grasshoppers, Zurich. And the referee observer was a guy called Michel Votre, a very famous French referee. And at that time I was thirty four. And Vautreau said to me, You're too old, you're not going anywhere. It's a young man's game now. now you ever turned the whole perception now that they wanted young, fat referees? And that flew in the face of a guy called Werner Helsen, Because, do you remember a referee called Lubus Michel? Yes. I was lucky enough to have a conversation with him in Qatar. I was I was lucky enough to go to Qatar three times. Lubus Michel done the Chelsea Man United Champions League final. That's
1: right. That's what I remember. And Hugh
0: Dallas was the observer. And Lubus told me they, they debriefed in something like two and a half, three hours. And Lubis just, I I'm finished with us Because he reckoned that at the top level, you shouldn't have any more than four or five years because of the mental, physical strain on you. Mm-hmm. That's why you see, you hear managers are being at a club for more than three, four years, and it becomes a wee bit of a strain. And Gordon Strachan said that, don't, don't be the Celtic manager for more than three or four years. So anyway, UEFA turned it. UEFA turned it and said, we want young, fat referees. And all of a sudden, they had to get these guys at 26 and 27 onto the international list. So if you start refereeing, I had eight years to go through. So from my first passing the exam in 92, to get into the FIFA list was 10 years. And that was considered relatively fast at that time, seven seasons in junior football. Now, you'll be lucky if a guy spends two or three seasons in junior football. And junior football was a great grounding for me, and I think it's a great grounding for them. And what also you've got is you've got a young guy who starts refereeing at 18. He does amateur football, he's 20. He does it onto the senior list at 22. And he probably hasn't really had much life skills. He might be at university, Stein and stuff. So he doesn't know how to round, run a household or something with regards to there. I went away to the Navy at 16 and I grew up quick. And that helped me as well. So you don't have the life skills in order to deal with the scenario. If I said to you, John, name three top referees, they would all be of a maturer version. The likes of John Robotham, the likes of Kenny Cart, the likes of Michael McCurry. Who were all at the age group that were starting to mature and use that to get them through the games. Now at 26 on the FIFA list, you don't have that. No. So you're no, You're not. You're going to deal with players that ultimately are probably 21, 22, 23. So you at 24 and them at 23. There's a. There's a con. There, there's a kind of, Watch. Action of action of personalities. whereas at 34, right, we right, be pal. Hey, come on, come on, just calm yourself in here and let's try and get through the game. Let's do things like that and just deal with, with that side. So, you ever now want young, fit athletes and turn them into referees with all the different coaching programs they've got? When I went through the grades, I was in every program. I went. To, I went to the senior list, and I was on a, a referee development program. I went to category two, and I was on a referee development program. And big Hugh Williamson, big nice big guy for Renfrewshire, turned round and says, "Charlie, they'll not promote you at one season at three, one season at two, and one season at one. They'll go." I spent three seasons at uh, two seasons at three, two seasons at two, and then went up to. Grade one. So the promoter. And at that time I was seen as one of the prospects of the SFA to go on and do things. Because when I come back from that Switzerland trip and I told them, by the way, guys, Votros told me I'm too old. At that time the head of referee and says I you have interest have introduced a mentor and talent screen system. The mentor for Scotland is a guy called Bob Valentine. Mm. And the talent for Scotland Was Craig Thompson And that's when it went through With regards to the Yeah. As I say, so yeah, sometimes but... They do get promoted too quick yeah. So the likes yeah. of the guys that you're seeing So if we look at the guys Coming through into the Premier League you Davey Munro A couple of seasons of junior football and up through For that Nick Walsh, a couple of seasons of junior They've all come through Ayrshire junior football mm-hmm. And you're Craig Napier Craig Napier's picking up a couple of Premier League games. Yeah. Now word in the street is that Wally Collum is, is is coming to the end of his FIFA career. So he's tipped. Craig Napier is is looked to be the next to take Wally's FIFA badge. So again, yeah. they're only guys at twenty four and twenty five year old.
1: Yeah, and when you've got some senior players in, in the league at like 33, 34, they're going to eat them alive. You know, At least when you've been in the juniors yep. for a good number of years, it gives you a good grounding. And Ayrshire's obviously a good grounding for referees. I mean, you think of guys like, um, God rest his soul, George Smith, Jim McCluskey, um, you know, and then obviously, they like, see yourself. Um, but I just think, um, like, Andrew Dallas, I'm, I'm using him as a prime example because... The other John um, mentioned um, that, he, that he'd that refereed a couple of um, games in junior level and says, watch out for this guy. He is going to be a nightmare And how he's right. I mean, the, the, I think what sums Andrew, Andrew Dallas up was he found a way of giving a penalty in that League Cup final, the yeah. Celtic Aberdeen League Cup final, which fortunately Scott Sinclair missed um, to even up a wee bit. But it was, one, it's not a handball, and two, it was outside area. And then a couple of days later, St. Johnston Hearts. No one's appealing, and he's found a reason to give a penalty. There was nothing happening in it. But, but again...
0: You yeah, used to sit and watch and, and talk to managers, and managers would mention names, and you'd think, he's a, he's a loose cannon out there. He's just, mm-hmm. yeah, you know what I mean, for that. He's just rabbits in the headlights, carry on for there. Yeah. Um, but that's the game, and that's the way it's gone, and that's that's maybe to the detriment of, the, the, as you say the standard of refereeing,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and so forth with regards to there.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've just got to hope that they improve. And one one big thing that we keep talking about is VAR. Um, Now, in the World Cup, by and large, apart from maybe one or two dodgy ones, it seemed to work a wee bit. Um, Although, there's maybe a a bit about the time. In England, it is a riot because, you know, it's just getting a bit pernickety. I know from kind of reading some some things in the research that you're in support of R if, if, if it would come here. But, you know, one, it's got to be cost-effective. And right now in a, in a pandemic, we're trying to find money for clubs to survive, let alone throw it at, at this. But yeah. um, at, one, you know, at one point, how would you like to see it introduced in Scotland? And what improvements... Would you um, want to see made? Because, as we say, down in England, it is an absolute disaster.
0: Because they are not using the way it should be used. VAR is brought in or bringing in to be a clear and obvious refereeing error. No difference of opinion. See if you're the referee on the field of play, John, and I'm the other side of the screen, as we are tonight, and I see, oh, that's a difference of opinion, where it's clear and obvious that's what you've got today. Now, because of England, FIFA have grabbed it back. And as we mentioned, Kalina, he's taking control of it. Now, what you're going to get now is a diet version. It's called VAR Light. Mm-hmm. So this is how if I was in and I know that I'm ever going to be and I'm not touting for the job in any way, shape or form. If I was in Crawford Allen's shoes, I would pick a televised match because, depending on who the broadcaster is, B-Sky, B-Sky, sorry, mm-hmm. you're going to have up-team cameras. You're going to have a production team in a lorry somewhere, right? Get a couple of other monitors in there. And bring a recently retired referee, grade one referee, Mm -hmm. involved in the Premier League, i.e. John Robotham. Just because you had him on a couple of months ago, Mm -hmm. right? I'm just using that as an example, right? Somebody who knows the laws of the game, somebody who's just recently retired, and sit them in that caboose and get them communicating to the on-field referee. Because the camera angles are there. There's not going to be a great cost involved. Give give the retired referee expenses and a couple of hundred pounds to to, to justify his day out and and the pressure of making a job. Sit with the protocols that if you see something that is clear and obvious, a referee in error, i.e. the referee gives a penalty kick and from the camera angle there is no contact. From the referee's angle there seems to be contact. But from the other angle, there's no contact. Bring them in, take them to a pitch side monitor, show them the incident, and ultimately the final decision still stands with the on field referee. Yeah. If he turns around and says, Thanks very much, but no, I'm happy with that, then there's nothing you can do. But that's yeah. how I would bring it in. And I would bring it in at that stage. Yeah. And and and, and trial and see and improve it because you're a hundred percent right, John. We don't have money to th- we've got other things that we need to prioritise money with, but there is opportunities to trial it. We saw the goal line technology being trialed in the Scottish Cup final. Yeah I'm a fan of that. Hamden's going to be used as one of the Euro twenty twenties if it still goes ahead in that side. So the ground route the ground things have been done. So, day away with the officials behind the goals and concentrate on your goal line technology at Hamden, and bring in your VAR light. It doesn't need to be your all singing, all dancing VAR. Bring it in as VAR light and tell everybody, this is just a trial. So, do one game set up, but don't change the decisions and just get everybody to write down. I would change that, I would change that and make a contribution with there, and then bring it in. And do it baby steps. Do it baby steps.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. I know BT, um, when the vast thing was brought up before, BT, when they still had the contract, um, the joint contract yeah. with Sky, volunteered to actually do it as a trial. I know that when they first brought the Premier League coverage in down south, they had Howard Webb. Doing something similar, um, although it wasn't VAR, it was just his opinion um, yeah. on some of the yeah. decisions made. So that was offered by BT and obviously it never got any further, but it is something that maybe can be used. I mean, because at the end of the day, I mean, I like, although we criticise decisions as, as fans, I think there's some refreshing about human error because at the end of the day, if you've made a, mis- a mistake in a game, you'll at least learn from it. I don't know what um, alignment is going to learn from um, not seeing an armpit and Playing someone onside or offside
0: But that's not a clear and obvious Referee in exactly. error <laughs> We can get to the concept of ah, He's offside But where mm-hmm. do we draw the lines in And all that concept mm-hmm. Ask the assistant referee to make that decision That's a hard decision So they're, what they're trying to, to do away with Is when the guy's like a yard onside And he's flagged offside mm-hmm. That's a clear error when you're looking at it for that point, but when it's actually millimeters mm-hmm. and taking it for there, when there's a red card incident and the referee hasn't saw it, then you've got to draw his attention and tell him this is a red card. This is a clear and obvious referee error because it's a red card incident. Okay. So offside, red cards for there, penalties or no penalties mm-hmm. and mistaken identity. And though the four protocols you bring it under, and you set it, your your your, your, your where you've got, and you've got communication between the officials. You've not got a guy in Stockley Park miles away. You've got a guy just outside, and you got it for the communication with regards to that. Does the miles make any difference? No, it shouldn't. But you've got it in that setup with regards to there.
1: Yeah, it's better when they are um, all there. But it again, it just takes away the emotion of football. I mean, players are almost. Not wanting to celebrate scoring a goal, and whilst the David Marshall celebration um, is iconic, you know, um, I I think it's a brilliant moment he's checking with the ref and then celebrating again. He's having to wait whilst everyone else is just running towards him, and at that point, I'm jumping about the room. But you don't want to, um, you know, take that away um, from football either.
0: Exactly, and and that shows you the inconsistency of it because if David Marshall Saves a penalty and moves off his line during the 90 minutes, it's a retaking a caution. Mm-hmm. But if he moves off his line and saves the penalty and the and kicks for the penalty mark, mm-hmm. it's a retaking no caution because there's going to be another four penalty yeah. kicks with regards to that. So you're looking yeah. at it from that point of view that it's all right during the 90 minutes, but it's no all right with regards to that the goalkeeper's moving off the goal line, mm-hmm. that's done to the assistant referee. That's his decision. And if he yeah. draws attention to it, he draws attention to it. If he does not, he does not. Um, well, there.
1: well, there's the other extreme. We talk about the glorious moment with David Marshall, but in the Women's World Cup, when Lee Alexander makes that penalty save against Argentina, um, it's then called back and it was a mad. It was a very marginal whether she was on or off the line. Personally, I don't know if I've got blue tinted specs uh, here, but um, I don't think she was off the line um, when that happened. And and as you say, she gets a booking, and then she doesn't move for the retake. But I think they took the booking aspect away because, see, at the end of the day, I mean, I don't think goalkeepers. Subcon- I don't think they purposely do it. It's maybe a subconscious thing. Like it's it's almost natural, but. It's yeah, that was a that was a shocker that one, and it was a time taken as well, and then yeah. there wasn't much time after that for the
0: game. Yeah. yeah, you're thinking sometimes you need to get people around the, the table who have got football and refereeing at the, the interest of the heart, and change the laws for the sake of changing the laws to enhance the game of football. Don't change the laws for the sake of changing the laws, and for that ultimately we're changing the laws at the moment to to incorporate VA. With regards to that, but in the nicest possible way, John, um, Scotland women's World Cup match against Argentina, didn't they just balance on that penalty kick? Of course it didn't. <laughs> they blew uh, three uh, goal uh, leads. Um, and, But in uh, the concept of of there, yes, you then freeze the goalkeeper onto the goal line, and for that. But what again? And I'm, I'm not telling goalkeepers today do this, but stand behind the goal line. Mm -hmm. With just your toes on it And then if you want to move forward Always take one step And your toes will still be on the goal line So you can move forward and then dive Mm -hmm. And you're still being able to stay within the laws of the game
1: yeah, Charlie Richmond and tip to goalkeepers for penalty kicks. That's a good wee headline to have. Um, there you go. So right. there we go. Um, I've just uh, I've enjoyed your company. So I've just got a few um, quite fair questions um, to finish off. Um, the first one is from Mister Robotham. Um, ask ask him how he enjoyed being on the weakest ref at conference.
0: <laughs> oh, big John. Big big John was dressed up as as. Uh... Oh God, who who hosted that weakest link? Oh, it was Ann oh, Robinson. Um
1: well,
0: Robinson, oh. uh, Big John was dressed up and, and oh what a laugh! Absolutely what a laugh! Uh, and I just I just forgot the question. I made a I made a a, a boo boo. <laughs> uh, but it was great. <laughs> it was great to to come up with that. And for there again, that was that was the perception of of Charlie Richmond was up on the stage as one of the potential. Uh, referees going to the top of the game.
1: <laughs> That's excellent. That was excellent. What's yeah, your favourite dipple?
0: Jack Daniels and Coke.
1: Good choice. That's one of mine as well. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Um, what would your death row meal be?
0: Um, steak, chips, peas and carrots, peas and, and gravy. That. Nice. Then, uh,
1: what? What about a dessert? Would it be one of John's cakes? John Notham's cakes.
0: What, what a baker he's turned into! You're, <laughs> you're, you're, every week he posts them on his Facebook page, and you see everybody saying "delivery, delivery." saying for that, he made the uh, he made Milky Bar shortcake the other week, and I was uh, white chocolate. And I says, "The Milky Bars are on you, John." <laughs> <laughs> right. but,
1: uh, what a baker! Excellent. Um, who who, do you, who was the best referee in your time? Apart for yourself,
0: <laughs> who was the best referee in my time? I didn't
1: well, your time hope. was a referee. Yeah.
0: Jings. Um, and amongst the grade one colleagues.
1: Yeah, well, aye. and amongst there,
0: mm-hmm. um, Kenny Clark.
1: what made him stand out in your opinion?
0: I, d- I just thought he was—he he, was—he was a safe pair of hands in big games, and he didn't go O.T.T. over the thing, and he refereed the game of football for there, and he just wanted to go in, do the business and get back out the road, and for there, and he was always willing to, to stay behind and offer you advice and. Have a wee drink at the hotel when we used mm-hmm. to meet up, and um, for that, um, in regards to there. And also, he was good company abroad as well. It's tough. And
1: What's the best uh, night out you can remember with your, um, your refereeing peers?
0: Oh, jings, man. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> um, me, Wally Conker. Stevie Conroy and George Drummond went to Getafe against Dutch team. He said... And we went back and the German observer, um, he turned around and he says, would you like me to do the the debrief now? And I says, "Oh, do we not have to wait?" He says, "Nothing to talk about. Go and enjoy yourselves." So that night we went out, and we get absolutely <laughs> <laughs> how we got on that plane from Madrid back to Scotland. I don't know. We turned up at the airport. We were tree- We were hugging plastic trees. We <laughs> were cheerio <"Turiota> to plastic trees. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we, were, we were as rough as any, and and the, the wee air host, there, the, the cabin crews are called now. She's all right, boys. Just leave us. Just leave us if we get back. An unbelievable, an unbelievable mess. <laughs> we're trying to get. Oh God, we we got, I think we get. The flight was something like eight o'clock in the morning, and we get back to the hotel about five in the morning, and just packed our clothes as we went. Absolutely, then. <laughs> Win, <laughs> lose, or draw or whatever, we always try to go and get a wee drink. Maybe not to that extreme, mm-hmm. but I had been in Madrid about a couple of months earlier than another game, and I knew the nightclubs to go to and that. So of course, Getafe is is uh, in is just near outskirts of Madrid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we went back and uh, we went in there. And, we just had a right good laugh, and um, but oh what a state! You could have pulled us onto the plane, man. Oh god, <laughs> that is brilliant. That was a that was a, that was a night to, to remember for the four years with were to there. Again, St Andrews. We used to go to the conferences every year at St Andrews. We always had a good laugh, and um, for there, but again that get done away with because it was seen as mere as a social thing than a training course for that. Um, a lot of referees stoked going to St Andrews because the social aspect was, was took away and for there. That's a shame. That's a yeah, shame. Because you didn't, need, you didn't need to let your hair... Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Every time you went abroad, the 90 minutes was the be-all and end-all. If you didn't do the business in your 90 minutes, you can't, you weren't coming back. So everybody worked hard, worked their backsides off to have as best a game as they possibly could. And once the debrief was by, then you always I always try to go out and, and order because as much as you were a, a FIFA referee, you maybe got a couple of traps, there was some guys in your trip who maybe never ever get one. That would be their one and only. So you always try to make it as memorable as you possibly can. And that went with the same with um, the only thing I ever done was before the European games. I took key rings and pens, and I went to the wee kit man, and I gave him pens and key rings, and asked him for four jerseys, and tried to get four jerseys of every every team we got. We went to a Densk, and Bruce Riuk was the manager at Densk.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah,
0: and Her- Hertha Berlin beat them three one before the game. Bruce Riuk was our long lost pal. Oh, Scottish officials, how you doing, bang? They gave beat three one and we never saw him again. <laughs> never, no, there was nothing controversial in the game or anything. We just never him. Yeah. So we went into a dense dressing room and remember the boy Larson. He played with Hibs and he played with Celtic. Oh, at yeah. Mm-hmm. He was at Densk and we we just says any chance we can get four jerseys, pal. And he says, "I here." And 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 then he gave us he gave us four four uh, jerseys for that. So. Uh, but that was the only thing but I a nice collection of, of jerseys from from various teams and players I see and that was of... it but yeah. I if, if you're ever talking to to Wally Conker or, or uh, George or Stevie. Uh, ask
1: them about the, the trip to Madrid. I might, just, I might just line my up one day and um, try and uh, ask that question. So, um, we normally, um, I, I normally ask for a best 11 but I um, haven't prepared you for that but what I will throw at you. Um, on the theme of 10 and 6s because there was a retro podcast last week about it, if you were to have a 6 aside team of your former refereeing colleagues, who would make it?
0: Six aside is referee and colleagues. Aye. right. And goals I would have Brian Winters because he would fill the goals. Big Brian was a big heavy guy, so he would fill it. So you just sat him in. You'd sat him in there. Him in there. <laughs> so, um, that would that would be one, um. Who who played who all played football before they became referees? Um with regards to their um God who would I have I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think. Best six, big 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 Bernie and his his boy plays with Hamilton, Brian. Uh big Bernie in goals. Um obviously myself. Yeah. With regards to there uh, on the left side of the midfield. Um, God. Probably have. Probably have Brainsy. Big Brainsy would be in the right side of midfield for there.
1: Saturday
0: um, um, who else would I have? Um do, do, do. We'd have Martin Sproul up front. Martin played football until amateur you for there. Um who else would I have? Frank McDermott, but Frank McDermott is centre half. Big Frank, he would just go through everybody. Nobody would get by him. He would just pull everybody. To, <laughs> the thing do for there, and then I'd need a, I'd need a runner. I need a whopper. And um, with regards to there, um, who could I have to run beside? Who could I have as a thing for there, um? Oh, God. I'm trying to think. You should all
1: have been able to run up and down a football park, given that he's for oh, Apparently,
0: <laughs> You need the ball at the top. You need the it <laughs> to get the ball at the top. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, mm. for the, um, and you think of Callum Murray. Callum was one paced. Callum was up. and He, he wasn't a sprinter. He was always one paced. i probably put Michael McCurry in. Michael was fast. Michael McCurry was a flying machine. So I'd probably put him in. He'd just lob the ball out of the top uh, and he would go on to it. Lob the ball up, Big Sproul would hold on to it. Me and Brinesy would work in the middle with regards to there. And then we would have um, my my two at the back and my goalkeeper. So that was it Can we we used to That was a funny thing About it John We used to have a Five a side tournament Up at St Andrews Each refereeing association Would put a team in But see because People were getting injured They (laughs) cancelled it Because everybody Was hoffing Everybody was hoffing Everybody Right What games he got At the weekend Oh I quite fancy that Whack hoff Put up in the air And (laughs) away he went With regards to there But We used to play Fat bang We used to play a against other associations but it all gets stoked because of the fear of injury. Um, which was a bit disappointing, but there you go.
1: Well, you were needed for um the to go in the pitch on the Saturday and get abused by everyone. <laughs> so apart from your superiors. So um but listen, thank you very much for your time Charlie. It's been a wonderful insight into the world of refereeing. Um and thank you very much for your time and um, hope you keep well and stay safe.
0: It's same to yourself, John. An absolute pleasure, pal, to to talk to you and, and uh I wish you all the best with whatever you do in this and, and stay safe as this terminology. Stay at home, stay safe and, and protect the NHS and yeah. for that.
1: Exactly. Great service. Take,
0: take right. care, Charlie. Right, all the best. <laughs>